welcome to Mystery Simon Theater 3000. I'm Simon, and I'm going to be showing you my VHS collection of almost 3,000 titles. Each episode, I'm going to be telling you about three tapes that I watched. The first one is chosen via random number generator. The second one is chosen by my co-host. And the third one is chosen by our guest. And this episode, our guest is Stephen Como. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm not, not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. We're warm. It's literally freezing outside. Yes, very yeah. frigid. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, happy to have you. Um, do you want to share a little bit about yourself? You're a person of many talents, writer, artist, voiceover artist. Thank you for the kind words. Um, yeah, uh, um, I'm, I design movie posters, and I've dabbled into screenwriting. I have like a couple feature-length scripts that... I haven't done much with i've submitted to some contests um I like to write like short fiction mm -hmm. uh love watching movies so it's really great to be in this room um just i feel kind of like overwhelmed but like in the best way so <laughs> it's it's really great it's like walking into a movie madness or something but like you don't have a i don't have a membership there but i and you can't like buy the movies so it's kind of like torture so it's the same thing where i'm like surrounded by movies that are amazing that i can't have but i really want to have them so Oh, well, well, we'll be on the lookout for any duplicates of anything you do want. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, just tell us a little bit about your relationship to movies and media. Uh, you were telling us a little bit about, like, your grandmother had, like, a really impressive uh, VHS collection that she kind of chucked in one go to replace with DVDs. I think we've all had p parents like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I was raised by my grandma, and, like, movies is, like, always, it was always our thing. Um, she actually passed a couple years ago. I have this tattoo. This has like our thing on it. Oh, um, it's a slate. So yeah, it's a little slate. I it love was, that. It was a uh, so it's it's nice like I better have that relationship with with her and like it's when I moved out, I I was like oh no I have to get my own movie collection. That was like really <laughs> rough of like how am I gonna watch movies? So I started like collecting my own DVDs and mm -hmm. so now I have like my own Blu-ray collection. But yeah, just like watching movies, especially ones that we watch together just brings me back, so, yeah. What were the kind of movies that uh, you would always watch with uh, your grandma, or, like, what were her what were her movies, her genre, her she, actors? Yeah, she really liked action movies. Cool. Which was cool, so, like, I grew up, like, watching, like, I, like, Conair is one of them, but, like, Lethal Weapon, um, okay. yeah, or, like, Vertical Limit, just, like, movies that are, like, kind of, like, over the top action. That movie is absolutely over yeah. the top. <laughs> um, yeah, she didn't really like get into like romantic movies as much. It was very much like just heavy action or comedy. She was huge, mm -hmm. huge on comedy. I probably saw Rocky Horror Picture Show way too young. Um, no such that's thing. True of no such thing. In this room. Yeah, <laughs> a textbook might say different, but I'm just yeah. Um, so just a lot of memories watching big blockbuster action movies with my grandma. Cool. That's cool, so cool. fun. Yeah, awesome. So our three movies in this week is 1992's Waterland. Uh, I actually didn't check to see what year Cactus Flower came out. <laughs> but the Walter Matthau, uh, Goldie Hawn, uh, Cactus Flower. And then 1997's Con Air. So we're to start with 1992's Waterland. This one stars Jeremy Irons and a kind of young Ethan Hawke. Um, this movie is based on a novel, and it's a it's a very artsy British movie that I 
think we enjoyed, although I have notes, to yes. say the least. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, the um, the way the narrative was kind of structured in this movie was really interesting, and I don't think it's successful. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about the box. So I've mentioned before that this one kind of reminded me of Dead Poet Society. The There's a photograph of Jeremy Irons looking at a very angsty Ethan Hawke in a classroom. We know it's a classroom. There's a chalkboard. And then above this photograph, there are just like some, a young couple embracing. It, it looks like a little mysterious and it looks very dramatic. Not the kind of dramatic I would use to describe a visual. I mean, it looks like a, a drama movie, like a high art drama, which is kind of what it was. Yeah, I'd say so. All right. So we have powerful, authentically original says, it's so tiny. Richard Schickle, Schickle, help me. Let's see. We're going to, we're going to bring out the magnifier on this one. <laughs> Did they? Were they trying to make it difficult? That is so. actually really tough, even for me to read. And well, I, I got I got twenty twenty. The thing is, like, I don't know why they would, because I can see where it's from. It's from Time Magazine. You don't want, like, maybe. I think that was just a design choice, and it was a bad choice. Hmm. But the important thing is that we know it's from Time Magazine. I don't think most people really who were looking to buy or rent a movie is going to get too hung up on who wrote it but where it was published shickle shickle okay richard shickle from time magazine says powerful authentically original and then we have gene shallot says from the today show says compelling and rewarding would you agree i'm thinking I, rewarding is an odd word to use here I wholly agree with compelling. Yes. Rewarding, I feel like, says that it delivered on whatever it promised to you. I, I want to know what the rest of the sentence is. I yeah. need, this is uh, the worst kind of taking out of context. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely... Does it have like um, the dot, dot, dot? Like it, yeah. Well, um. Yes. Um, and then Susan... Granger of American Movie Classics says the performances are superb. Also agree. Uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Also, I just want to say Shickle, Shallot, and Granger sounds like a really <laughs> dope band. Like, or a vaudeville act. Or a vaudeville act. <laughs> Shickle, Shallot, Sickle Cell, Granger. <laughs> uh, we got uh, a few more, actually. Damn. Okay, uh, we have a fearlessly eccentric film of haunting depth. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I'll go with that. Says John Maslin of the New York Times. So again, like where these reviews were published is actually, uh, like, I don't want to say prestigious, but they're like big publications that mm -hmm. everyone knows. And then, I think this is part of the logline, or maybe this is a tagline for the movie. Listen, and I'll tell you a story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of long-kept secrets, sexual scandal, and murder. It's the story of my life. Sexual scandal? I think this man turned it into a scandal by telling the story. Yeah. <laughs> this this yeah. did not well, need to be a well, scandal. Yeah. Well, All right. We'll Does Jeremy Irons' character say that? 
Or is it who's who's line? I'm sorry, I'm just intrigued. No, who's line? I think this it's is supposed to be maybe in the voice of Jeremy Irons. Yeah, because he is uh, for sure the main character and the protagonist, and, and he's narrating his life to his students, but he's almost exclusively telling them about um, his wife, who was also like they were high school sweethearts, like when they were first starting to fuck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's high, high school students. Yeah. All right. Okay. It's yeah. It's definitely like. <laughs> yeah, we'll get. Is it. there a lot of narration, like he's talking to the audience as well, or? In a sense, and we'll get to it. Okay. Let's go ahead and finish this log line. Academy Award winner Jeremy Irons, Reversal of Fortune, delivers a brilliant performance in this powerful and provocative motion picture. Irons portrays disillusioned history professor Tom Crick, who, in an age of cynicism and despair, inspires his students to embrace the past and discover the marvels and mysteries of life. Is that what he was doing? It could be argued. <laughs> one, one could say. <laughs> one could write. Through a series of extraordinary stories, he takes them on an unforgettable journey into the past that changes their lives forever. Mm. Featuring a stellar performance from one of today's hottest young stars, Ethan Hawke, Alive, Dead, Poet Society, this four-star masterpiece earned high praise from critics and audiences alike. Inspirational, unforgettable, Waterland is, quote, one of the ten best films of the year says Daphne Davis of Woman's Own. This that's a lot of this this logline has taken a lot of liberties. Yeah, I think like a lot more happens than what I was expecting. Like like I like this was a really interesting story. And if it was just I think edited differently. Yeah. Or they just like cut out a bunch of bunch of stuff. So there... like so one of the issues that I have with this narrative is the entire movie is Jeremy Irons telling his students about he and his wife when they were young. And there are moments where Jeremy Irons, like in the present of the movie, which is, I think, the 70s, like 74. Because he, when he was in high school, he was in World War II. Yes. It was World yeah. War II was happening. Yeah, so it's with, it has like flashbacks? Not, not, not quite flashbacks. He's like... It's almost like we get to see exactly what happened as, like, he's telling his students. Only we, the audience, are seeing what was actually happening. And then we get these moments where his students and him are in the this old English countryside during World War II, interacting with people in the mm. town. And I just don't know what to do with it. It's a bummer because... This device mm -hmm. isn't established early on. Oh, it's like <clears throat> just, oh, it's just like, like halfway through the movie. Yeah, he's in this car, this old car with like three, and it's kind of like a an open top car. Yeah, it's like a Tim like, Lizzie kind of thing with like three uh, or four rows, rows of, of seats, kinda. and they're full, and they're all with the students, and he's kind kind of like the universal. Uh, like tram ride where he's just kind of showing his students around and at first it's like that's kind of cool mm. but then when they get off the like get off of the car and start like drinking and talking to like I have no idea how this is supposed to actually function for the students 
Yeah, that seems really like it would throw you off to, yeah. to like be watching like halfway through and it just take, kind of take you out of it. It seems like a little bit. It, it was weird because initially, I think both of our reactions were, I oh, was wow, a, this is kind of yeah, interesting. I, this is I was cool. impressed initially. And like I said, as soon as they stopped being just like spectators. Yeah. And they just kind of like kept bringing this device back and his students were seeing things from his memories and then asking or commenting on certain things. And I'm just like, as a storyteller, like, uh, so are um, they hanging out in the past with them? And they're like, we don't want to be here. Like, this is lame. Like, I don't want to hear this story or no, they get to, well, they kind of just run around and he's like, meet back here in an hour or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like almost like a time travel story. <laughs> All right, everybody, back here in one hour. Okay, don't get lost. One hour exactly. Are you listening at the back? Which is back here in an hour. Base, you hear that? Heard you. But it, and it's not. It is, and it isn't. <laughs> okay. It's just, um, yeah, because even I felt like they were pushing it, like their the relationship with us, the audience, and him, the narrator. Like he's he's telling us about his past. You know, he's being very, I guess, like poetic about it. But you know, we would just kind of start seeing his like his memories, and then when the students would comment on it, it's like they're commenting on things that he never actually like said out loud. But presumably he's been going into like extreme detail. Right. Mm. Right. Now, I think it's worth mentioning at this point what frames this entire situation is his wife has just left him and just like gone. Like he doesn't even know where she went. She had a breakdown. St like she also like she can't get pregnant. She stole a baby. He makes her take the baby back. And she leaves. And so that is where he just starts saying, like, fuck this history. Let me tell you about <laughs> when I first had sex with Let my wife. Let me tell you about my history. <laughs> Got it. Also, it, another jarring aspect to all of this, like the way that it starts out as, okay, he's sort of omniscient narrator and the kids are like not involved in the story. Mm. Then like active narrator and the kids are involved in the story. Then at a certain point, nobody's narrating and you're just in real time for the movie. So, like, time doesn't work well in this movie at all, um, which is a bummer because the I think there are actually some virtues to, to this. It's mm. really interesting. Like, like, what actually happens between him and his wife? How, you know, when they were, I think, 16, they got pregnant and had, uh, which for like 19, you know, a 1940s countryside back alley so abortion like 19, yeah yeah it was just like a in in the shack on the moor and this old lady i think just maybe gave her a hysterectomy and that's kind of why she couldn't ever have kids and i i just wish things like that were more deliberately connected to some of the big scenes that we saw like we don't immediately know she stole a baby but we know something happens it's like it's kind of, i i thought they were setting it up to like he finds her and she kills herself but that's not what happens. Mm -hmm. She just is really, really like deeply unhappy and wants a kid. And is it, it sounds like the flashbacks are trying to like explain why he is the way he is right now. Like you don't really know that his wife left him in the beginning. 
You don't know right away. Like, right. The, the you movie, know something's up. The okay. movie opens up with him coming home and you hear a baby crying and he goes upstairs and he opens the door to his room and he's in shock and that's all we see. And then it's like cut to however many days um, when he starts telling his students the story. So mm. a lot of things like we don't know that he may or may not have already had the baby. And that's why I thought his wife was dead like because no i thought the same thing if we just took the story like in like chronological order it would have been like really fascinating and compelling and i would have been there for all of it but there were just so many moments where i was just like what is this i would like i have no idea what to do with this and i was asking too many questions that were distracting everyone yeah this had trailers it's like a art artsy british movie had artsy british trailers yeah <laughs> Coming soon. No. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have much to say about this first one. It's called Shortcuts, parentheses, question mark. Because the trailer was just names. Yes. There, was, there, were, there were no clips. There was no narration. It was just names. And there were a lot of actors. And the only one I'm actually remembering is Peter Gallagher. But he was like... The sixth person. So Peter Gallagher's your number six. Uh. My only thought for this movie was that it was something like, did you ever see, I know you did, did you ever see Coffee and Cigarettes? No. Um, you, you saw that one, yeah. right? Yeah. Where it's like, it's essentially a movie about nothing. So the only way to sell it is through who's in it because mm -hmm. that is actually what the movie's about. It's just a bunch of like interesting people like Iggy Pop, Jack White, a bunch of other people drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes. Got it. Like, and talking. Uh, following that was Johnny Stachino. Stachino. Okay. Johnny Stachino. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, there was a tagline that I thought was really good. It's like, the wrong face at the wrong time. Johnny Stachino, the, the premise is this guy looks like another guy. Oh, mafia. It's a mafia guy. So yes. this unassuming man looks exactly like this mafia person. And hilarity ensues. So 1991, uh, Italian comedy oh, film. Right. Directed by and starring Roberto Benigni. That's right. Okay, I kept trying to. Th I kept thinking of Richard Dreyfuss because he's in that other movie where he's he's an actor and he's hired to play um, a non-existent like dictator in South America. That sounds I, hilarious. I don't know that one. That does sound hilarious. It's, but what I will say is, when we were watching this back here. trailer. Yeah. Both of us were kind of getting Mr. Bean vibes. Oh yeah, off of it's it's the guy who yeah. is in Life Is Beautiful, and I only remember that because he uh, had a really uh, eccentric reaction to winning the Oscar for Best Foreign Film when I was a kid. What was that? Nineteen ninety something. I forget. But like he was he was jumping on the chairs on his way up to the stage, mm. um, and mm. that's what I will know him for for the rest of my life. But yeah, um, I, I was wondering, I'm like, is this the Italian Mr. Bean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seemed like it. Yeah. The last trailer on this tape is called The Last Days of Chenoux. 
Yes, it has the guy from Wings of Desire. That's right. And the lady from Shallow Grave, who was also in Country Life. Yes, yes. Not Greta Scacchi. No. The other lady. No, no, the other lady. Yeah. The plain-looking lady, even though she's gorgeous. Um, it's Country Life, that Sam Neill movie yeah. you guys watched. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you get to check that out? I haven't watched I watched the episode, but I haven't watched that. <laughs> Phenomenal movie. That sounded yeah. good. Phenomenal yeah. movie. And so in The Last Days of Shade News, uh, the Wings of Desire guy is in a relationship with a, a partner, and her sister comes to live with them, and her sister and Wings of Desire guy end up um, falling in love, and drama ensues. Classic homewrecker situation. I don't think she meant it, though. I think it's like just a, a tragic crossing of fate. Yeah, well, you know, intent versus impact, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I get, yeah, and you start to have those feelings, just shut it down. It's real yeah. easy to shut it down. Okay. This movie had some like mediocre accents. It was set in Philadelphia. It was absolutely not filmed in Philadelphia because oh. those, those students had uh, what I bring up almost every episode is like some shaky American accents. <laughs> oh, it's great. I love I love hearing bad American accents. It's like one of my favorite things to hear. All right. Can we get a one word description for Waterland? Hmm. Hmm. Prestige fantasy. Okay. Okay. It's strange. Right. It's a, a strange movie. Yeah. All right. Would you rewind it? Yeah. Because I, I did like it. Mm. Maybe if there's a second watch, some of the storytelling devices will click into place. No promises, but maybe. I, I, I'll rewind it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Cool. Great, great. Our second movie is 1969's Cactus Flower. And I gotta say, this is some of the best box art I've ever seen. I fucking love this tape. I kind of want to take it home and just put it on a mantle somewhere or like the edge of a shelf somewhere this is everything from the font to the illustration of our main character our main cast like it's it's beautiful i love it the colors are great yeah um let's go into so it says a comedy for all time and let's just get into this log line Actually, so I, I'm not going to react to what's on here because we didn't get to watch Cactus Flower. This tape got nothing on it. <laughs> yeah, this tape was oh. totally static. It was, uh, there's, it either has been magnetically erased or taped over. Um, taped over seems less likely. But because um, it was just like white noise. You can see that. Somebody's tried to remove the label. Uh, Interesting. So I don't know what the story is with this tape, but both of us were really disappointed. We were really looking forward to We were to. <laughs> really looking forward to watching this movie. A comedy for all time. And uh, just a few weeks or a couple weeks before we drew this movie, we'd been talking about Walter Matthau and just how much we miss Walter Matthau, especially as Mr. Wilson <laughs> from Dennis, Dennis the Menace. Menace yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I can't think of him without thinking of the chicletas. The chicletas, in yeah. The, yeah. yeah. In it's, the it's such a great gag. It's perfect. And he plays it so well. He plays it phenomenally. And then uh, Grumpy Old Man, and just like... Was he in the sequels to Antonis the Menace as well? I don't think. I don't... I don't even I don't know recall. if they replaced the kid either. Yeah, that's a whole side note. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I watched any of Mm-mm. the sequels. So the reason we didn't uh, seek out this movie to to watch is because like we're we're doing everything that we said we would with this collection. Is I tried watching this tape. Uh, at some point, we'll get around to watching Cactus Flowers. I don't, I don't know if it's something that we talk about. However, this does present an opportunity to maybe one day in the future make a sweeted version of it. You you know about the sweeted movies? No, please enlighten me. Um, Have you seen Be Be Kind, Rewind? Yes. Okay, Okay, I remember that movie. Yeah, Yeah. Jack Black, most of. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Michelle Gondry's last American movie? Yes. In that movie, all the tapes in in the shop are erased, and they have to remake them. But they tell everybody that they're sweeted, they're Swedish imports versions of the movie. <laughs> 15 they're minutes long. That's right. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, drastically shorter than, oh, than the original so thing. But what's, uh, <laughs> but what's really, or at least like uh, what adds to how like funny that premise is, is they have to then recreate movies they most likely have never seen. Yes. So um, your idea of it. Open, or at least like what's on the log line. Right. Which, right. As we've demonstrated by like reading these after after watching the movie, is sometimes these log lines uh, will tell you things that happened versus what the movie's about, hmm. or will just flat out lie. Yes, yes. Like, and this is a um, this is a little bit of errata here, um, but um, last episode we talked about the thirty nine steps. Uh-huh. The back of that log line said somebody got shot. Simon. Ended up being vindicated in the end. Shots I haven't seen were the final, fired. I have not seen the final no edit, but I was right. Got shot. So okay. shots were fired. No one got shot. I knew it. So, well, uh, I'm so glad you guys are creating a sweet version of this movie <laughs> and not Waterland. Well, so, <laughs> I want to issue oh, the challenge to our viewers. Um, okay. If you want to create a sweeted version of Cactus Flower and send it to us, well, well, or yeah, however you like, whatever kind of media file, we'll put it on this tape and yeah. watch it. We'll put it on this tape and we'll watch it first. Uh, ideally, that'll be the first way that we ever see this movie. Yeah. So, so let's let's see what Cactus Flower is about, shall we? A delightful comedy sparked with crazy, mixed-up situations and a kooky Academy Award-winning debut performance by Goldie Hawn. Wow, debut performance. Okay. Walter Matthau also stars as Julian Winston, an easygoing bachelor dentist whose delicately balanced scheme crumbles under some unexpected circumstances. That's not vague at all. Winston is starring along his dizzy blonde mistress, Tony, Goldie, by telling her that he has a wife and children. When he learns that Tony has tried to commit suicide over him, oh my god. However, he promises to marry her. Tony, refusing to be a homewrecker, insists on meeting Winston's wife. So he convinces Stephanie, Ingrid Berman, his starched, no-nonsense receptionist to pose as his wife, and there are unfortunate twists and surprises for everyone. Ed was not expecting that. So it sounds like he is in a relationship with Goldie Hawn. He's not married, but still calls her a mistress. Mm -hmm. Maybe wants to break up with her and tells her that he has a wife and children. 
She tries to kill herself, and then he <laughs> says, no, 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 baby, I will marry you. And she says, no, I want to meet your wife first, and that will not make her a homewrecker anymore. Okay. But then he has to fill the role. He doesn't. He has to fill the role of his wife. He's caught in a, a web of his own lies. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder, like, I, I think they just haven't told us why. So... There is no homewrecking, really. lying to Goldie Hawn. Is she, like, obsessed with him or something? I'm really intrigued just for the fact, like, um, with Goldie Hawn being her debut performance and stuff. And it's, like, seeing from the the cover, which, like you said, is great. Like, she, you can tell, like, it's playing up, like, the physical comedy. Yes. And I think that's, like, one of the things that she was, like, really known for. Absolutely. And so I wonder if she gets to, like, full, like, if this is, where she gets to like fountain off from that and then goes into like private Benjamin and like overboard bird on totally. a wire, things like that. Totally. Yeah. Goldie Hawn was definitely, she won the, an Academy Award re- for this. Oh really? Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. It's okay. like Academy Award winning debut performance. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she was the reason I was excited, like most excited for this movie. Cause this already looked like an older movie. And so to see Goldie Hawn, it was just like, Whoa, she must've been really young and she was already young and stuff like private Benjamin and all that. So, mm-hmm. Well, it sounds really good. Yeah, yeah it, it really does. does. It really does. Don't don't kill me if I want to go watch it before somebody makes their own <laughs> sweet <laughs> no, version. No, I mean, well, hopefully you somebody do. You, will. You're you're an yeah. adult. That's true. I with, can I can make my own decisions. Yeah. And this movie is a a, a, a nice cool 103 minutes. That would have been real sweet. That yeah. Would have been real sweet. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if there are any trailers. What's your one word description for Cactus Flower? Swedish. <laughs> Bummer. But we don't know if we'd rewind it. Well, we have, there. Well, we have no clue at this point. Yeah, but if we're if last episode is anything to go on, it's like I would not rewind this tape. There's nothing to rewind. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. Even if we had a working version, we would not rewind. This we would not rewind this specific this tape. tape. And finally, 1997's Con Air, which is. Uh, which was chosen by Steven. Yep. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, why you chose this movie, kind of like your your relationship to it. I know, like, probably influenced by, like, your grandma probably loved this movie. Yeah. And a fascinating thing you told us is that you love to read novelizations of movies. And you read the novelization of Con Air <laughs> for this. Yeah, um, definitely. I uh, love to uh, collect movies. This is one of the movies that I watched over and over with my grandma. Um, I think the number one reason I probably picked this movie was Face Off was my first choice, and I didn't see mm. it <laughs> in the list. But it we actually, have it at home in our personal collection. <laughs> um, really, I'm glad you said that because I got something to say about that. So okay, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I read the novelization. I I got into collecting novelizations this like last couple of years, um, and I'm kind of particular with the movies that I buy too, where I like won't buy the movie unless I've either seen it and I love it, or I think that I'm gonna like it or I'm really curious about it. And the novelizations, I'm even more particular because I'm not a huge reader, so it's like mm-hmm. I have novelizations for the movies that I really like, or if they're like really rare so this okay. the and they're out of print right so novelizations are, sure yeah yeah i only own one novelization of a movie and it's for the dark crystal solid 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a novelization of the X-Files movie Whoa. back in the day. Yeah, wish I would have hung on to that. I wish I would have hung on to that. Yeah, that would be a solid one. I think one of the reasons that I, I really like the novelizations that really intrigue me so much is like, they're like used as marketing. So they came out like before the movie aired a lot of times. So that's, that was hmm. the whole, so they, they were to generate excitement and for the movie. So you would find them in like, uh, like the drugstore paperback, yes. trade paperbacks. And a lot of times they would come out months before the movie and, and would be from a version of the script that for a film that hadn't finished completion yet as far as filming. And so I love picking apart the little differences there. Mm. Um, if you want to go on a side note ever and talk to me about the novelization for Flipper <laughs> in 1990s, <laughs> I literally have like a full script of like an hour, like worth of like notes on that, wow. which is ridiculous. Um, it's just so funny. But I watched that movie a lot growing up. The Elijah Wood one, right? Yeah. Specifically, there's a lot of like inconsistent stuff that they just don't address. That's really fun to dive into. Is Christopher Lloyd in that? I don't... Am I thinking of someone... Who's the old person in that movie? Paul Hogan. Okay. Uh, But it is Elijah Wood. I apparently watched this movie a lot growing up. Wait. It just dawned on me who you said it was Paul Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, That's great. That's the reaction I expect from any rational, insane person. Fucking Um, Lightning Jack, okay. Yeah, they're very, they're both men. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this movie. There's there's a novelization also has a few differences between this and the final film, so that's cool. Oh, can't wait to get into it. Uh, So, uh, to start off, we have high energy action, says Siskel and Ebert. Best kind of... Uh, best kind of promotion you can get from your video. Just what is probably two thumbs up. Then we have Pump Dump Action says someone at People Magazine. Explosive, also someone at the Denver Post. Uh, A pure adrenaline rush. Someone at 60 Second Preview. It's actually the Second or third time we've read something from 60-second preview. From the hit-making producer of The Rock and Crimson Tide comes the hard-hitting blockbuster, Con Air. Starring Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage, Face Off, The Rock, your boy John Cusack, Gross Point Blank, and John Malkovich in The Line of Fire. A prison parolee, Cage, on his way to freedom, faces impossible odds when the maximum security transport plane he's on is skyjacked by the most vicious criminals in the country, led by the infamous murderer Cyrus the Virus Grissom Malkovich. Buckle up and hang on tight as explosive high-flying action soars to new heights and delivers high-caliber motion picture entertainment. Wow. That's that's a really, really fun logline. Even just mm-hmm. ending with motion picture entertainment cyrus the virus they don't they don't talk about the virus nickname often enough for that to stick he's a social virus yeah a lot of people are (laughs) (laughs) yeah they don't really dive into that yeah so it rhymes yeah yeah just rhymes this movie's a lot of fun it's it's ridiculous everything from like nick cage is actually giving us a terrible performance and i don't care 
His accent is terrible. I don't care. I don't know if his accent's terrible. His accent is it better is, than Laura Dern's in a perfect world? It's better than both Laura Dern's and um Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner. <laughs> do you think his accent's bad or do you think it's bad because we know that's like what other movie I can't think of a lot of movies where Nick Cage like does an accent? He he does a better one in Raising Arizona. Oh, that's right. I'll say this. It's a different I think it he's like more like deep south in this movie and you know, Arizona. It's a little gumpy. Which isn't helped by the fact that <laughs> Bubba's in this movie. I know, yeah. <laughs> Bubba gum shrimp. John Cusack has like a really phenomenal exposition dump in in the beginning, oh, and you so were good. Just, like, I just want you were just like Mwah. in that one scene where he's like, okay. What are the facts? We got a guy who is a parolee. He could have gotten off the plane. He didn't. And he made sure to pack this tape in this other guy's pocket. What do we know from that? We have an ally. I just love how systematic that like thing is like fact one, fact two, fact three, <laughs> done. Okay, we've made the argument. And he's just like, Annoying the shit out of Cole Meany. So good. Which I love. Um, Who, by the way, is like refreshing because his American accent is like pretty decent. Like, really it, good. It, in this it's story. really good. It it's comes really out like when you, when you first get introduced to him, I don't know that he quite has it like down yet. He's a little grumbly. But uh, as soon as we get like at least halfway through the movie, when you hear him, it's just like, oh, can't, yeah. can't even tell. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I think he's becoming one of my favorite character actors, like okay. like Cole Meany. I like him popping up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely pops up. I really appreciate that. Like five minutes into this movie, we're in the movie. Yeah, yeah. They really, you really just jump right into it, and like even the court scene, like after he presumably gets arrested and he and he pleads guilty to manslaughter. Yeah. Like. Just the explanation from the judge is like yeah. so good. Like, yeah, yes. of course you, you're 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 a, we a, a weapon. You are yeah. a deadly weapon. So yes. you will be treated more harshly than the average person. Although there was a part of me that was just like, "Lady, this is your fault." He could have just laid this guy out inside the bar, and this wouldn't have happened. It's probably a bad way to think about it, but like, it was my first impulse. Yeah, <laughs> just your your Ken meme, just like. Let them fight. Let them fight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like, but the scene in the bar is like really necessary though, because it shows that restraint. And like, I know that like in, in like a novel, it can, you get like the more of the introspection of the character and Tell stuff. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, yeah. How does so, this play out in the novelization? <laughs> well, um, well, it's fascinating because I like to see, I read the novelization and I kind of read the script so I can go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And the novelization seems to be off of an older script, maybe one that they didn't film with. Well, uh, there's okay. not slight differences, but like it's when it, you, you, the movie starts out and you hear like the voiceover and he's being like, he, he's, his time is done with the Rangers. There's more of that internal monologue where he's just like, Cameron Poe is like, I, just calling bullshit to everything. So he's very soft. He's very simple spoken, right? Hmm. And so like there's the line where it's like, you defeated all these enemies against all odds. And, he, and in his head, he's like, the, the enemy was the odds, you fucking idiot. Right? So he's just like, he wants to like say things with as little words as possible. Hmm. Um, but then in the, in, the, in the bar scene as well, though as he's making his way to the bar, he spends a lot of time outside. He's like smoking a cigarette. Like he's like nervous to go inside. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And so, but it, everything he's thinking to himself is like, when I go in here, I'm changed. Like I'm not, I'm leaving everything behind. 
and and that like everything that I, I had to do for for the government and everything and, and all the people that I've had to kill like I don't want to be that person and so she really alludes to that in the movie yeah. when she's like that old guy almost started to come out again and he's like yeah you're right like so he's that's not his first like time thinking about it yeah and it's not his first it's not his like first line of thought of like let me get involved like so i feel like he gets forced to be involved and also in the screenplay he's very um in the actual fight where the knife gets pulled Mm. they write it as if he blacked out Mm. so he's like rage blackout yeah and also and also she he comes to from because she's like hitting him She's like, damn you, damn you. Like, she knows that he's about to get in trouble. Okay. But the movie improves on a lot of it because it jumps straight from that scene to him. In, to his sentencing. <laughs> yeah. Not, well, in, in the, yeah, into a sentencing, but in the script, it's really bad because it skips the whole court process and it goes to him, like, getting basically released. Right. In okay. the screenplay, which is really weird. I see, I see. Huh. Okay. So we don't get the, the the judge monologue in that? No, and that's okay. also not in the novelization. But the one thing that it does clear up is that in the movie, obviously, they're, they're in San Quentin, which is in California, mm. which is so far away from Alabama. And you're like, how does he get there? Um, he actually, there was like a prison riot and in the first prison in Alabama. Which okay. we do see. You do we see. We do see, yeah. like a, a, again, like really nice, uh, like fast-paced filmmaking. We just see a, a montage of his time in prison. But you just take for granted it's the same prison. Yeah, 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 I think I think so. I I think that it, but that's I think that's the way that they handle us better because yeah. you just really get into the movie, mm-hmm. right? Right, but um, also just like them explaining why would he even go on this plane in the first place, right? It's they say like in the movie like they're go there everyone on this plane is going to like this new fancy prison that's being built in Alabama, so like to save money it makes sense. So he's not only being released but also this plane's going back to his home state. Oh, it, so that, that okay, makes that. a ton of sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you had an, an interesting theory. It's like, we actually don't see a whole lot of Nick Cage in this movie. Because so, Face Off came yes. out the same year. Yep. When you brought up Face Off, that, like, it, there's like a sigh of relief. Because for years, I would get these two movies mixed up. Face Off and Con Air, I would get mixed up all the freaking time fascinating all the freaking time and and like i never i couldn't really put my finger on why and i never really even thought about it because i rarely ever thought about either of these movies um but when when i was watching this i was like i mentioned to simon yeah i always get these two movies mixed up she's like that's weird i was like i remember them coming out really really close to each other because both of those movies i saw them when they came out in the theater, and then probably the next time I'd seen either one of them was in the past five years. When I did a little digging, they came out in the exact same month. Three weeks apart, right? Like three mm-hmm. weeks apart, which means Nick Cage was filming both of these movies at the same time, which just had to be so gnarly. Or just back to back, I think. Or back to back. Yeah. And if you've seen mm-hmm. Face Off, you know how much energy Nick Cage put into even just the opening scene of that movie. (laughs) I feel like that whole year, though, because this movie came out, I think, a year, like a year and a day to when The Rock came out. Oh, sure. And um, I think that's another uh, uh, Cherry Berkheimer production, which I feel like if we're going to talk about like the the holy trinity of Cherry Berkheimer movies in the 90s would be like this movie, Con Air and uh, Armageddon. 
Okay, so The Rock, Con Air, and Armageddon? Yeah. It's okay. A, but I, right. I think that, like, but Face Off included in there would be, like, Nick Cage's Holy Trinity of Action movies. I feel like it's a great triple feature. Um, sure, yeah, so. yeah. Oof, that is, so, that. is, I'd be so tired. Even though the night's going to go by so fast, I'm yeah. going to be so exhausted. <laughs> Overstimulated, too. Yes. I think we just care about the characters, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel like you're watching some big explosive movie where you are, like, and not able to connect with people, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's what makes those makes those moments matter. Like I cry up, I cry, <laughs> I cry every time at the ending um, with the Leanne Rhymes song. I, is I that Leanne Rhymes? It sounds like a it? cover. Uh, like I don't know the. Why do I think that? I mean, it, it is a Leanne Rhymes song. It just the the voice singing it and is it sounds older. Oh yeah, because she was like fourteen at the time. Yeah. So I I don't know who Trisha. Yearwood. Trisha Yearwood. Okay. Yeah, so that makes me cry um, every time when that scene comes on. Uh, I just get emotional. Yeah. I, I, really, I mean, but I also, it. yeah, it's delivering on that, that what we wanted to see, like, or what I want to see for Cameron's character is, like, they have to have the reunion, right? And, mm-hmm. like, and, and to give her the bunny. But, and I think I was watching an interview with Nick Cage, and, like, the, the bunny was his idea, but also part of that was to have, um, he really wanted to have, like, an over the, like, a silly... It's just, it kind of represents like the silliness of the movie in a way, mm. but something that to a fault, he's going to, you're going to take it so seriously. Right. So even when like Cyrus is like holding the gun, he's like, make a boom, make a move and the bunny gets it. Yeah. But I still think like, he's like dead serious. He's threatening the bunny and Cameron's like, yeah, don't, don't shoot the bunny. But it's the same thing for like the one liners underneath in the belly of the plane when he's like, I told you to put the bunny back in the box or something like that. So yeah. 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 yeah it's just, it's played up really well. Um, and I, I, th- I think with like Cameron's character, I really like that he just kind of seems, it's very unassuming if you don't know him. Like people call him Hillbilly. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an accent that's like obviously ridiculous, right? And he plays into it. But uh, just the dialogue in the movie, it's it, it comes across in a way of like when people are kind of like have like little zingers at each other. Mm-hmm. It's stuff that you've, when you, when you want to have a comeback with somebody or like a, a comeback when somebody says something to you and you don't think of it for like two weeks, you're like, I wish I would have said that. <laughs> right? It's just like, so it just comes across in that way of like, like when Johnny 23's character, he's obviously um, really, really problematic person. Yeah. Um, but he's like, do you know what I am? And he's like, yeah, ugly all day. It's just like, <laughs> doesn't miss a beat. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I wish I would say stuff like that. Um, or one of my other favorite lines was um, he just it's just the way he talks. But when uh, Cameron's talking to Diamond Dog about like looking out for Sandino's character and how he's probably gonna like trick them, double, or, cross, double him. cross him, yeah, double yeah. cross him. And uh, Cyrus is like, "What's going on here?" He's like, "This is your this is your barbecue, Cyrus, and it tastes good." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, oh man, who talks like that? Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. just a lot of fun. But I love, um, even though the, the beginning goes by so fast, but, like, uh, when he's in prison, like, just watching him not only working out, which is, like, a prison movie, what a lot of people would do with all that time on their hands, but mm-hmm. he's, like, he's getting books. He's he's learning, like, um, mm-hmm. Spanish, and he's learning yeah. origami, but he's, just like, bettering himself. And I think that those are, a lot, like, I it makes me care about the character a lot more. Yeah. And so it's fun to then watch him interact in a world where people like Cole Meany's character or other people are like just kind of dismissing him or he's a nobody. But this mm-hmm. guy, like, he's not out to prove anything, but right. he's got a lot more going on under the radar. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and just to say more about the the opening montage is like it it does function as a a way to kind of like hint at what he's hints at what Cameron has kind of gone through at his time in prison, but really it more so functions as a way to show us the relationship that he has with his daughter. Cause the, like all of the voiceover narration during the montage is the letters between him and his daughter throughout those eight years. So those are like very like real stakes. It's why he takes the bunny so seriously. And it's why like, we really just want to see him like get to his destination and to see his daughter because like that's the only thing that he's really been consumed with. Yeah. It's the only thing worth sharing with us as the audience. At the end when he finally does see his daughter for the first time, that's that like glimpse of his sh- his face is like the first time that I feel like we really see like vulnerability. Like to yeah. me he looks terrified and that's what hits me. I'm like this Totally. Yeah. He looks so terrified of oh, like Oh yeah, well, she, when she gets scared and he's just like, "Okay, or or not." Like, yeah. like yeah. you want this bunny yeah. or not? And he just gets so like, "Just tell me what to do." <laughs> yeah. Right. Kind of totally. Face. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I should we all should be crying when we hear that Leanne Rhyme song. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. No. Yeah. All right, so this movie had quite uh quite a few trailers. Oh, the first one we got a really f- uh, fun trailer for uh, Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. And almost almost all of it was just a bunch of outtakes where you hear um, Quentin behind the camera going, uh, like, setting up, like, Pam Greer is. And then <laughs> Pam Greer just turns and like, Jackie Brown. And so we just get to see, like, five or six of those uh, different takes. It was pretty. It was pretty great. The next trailer is... Armageddon. <laughs> but no footage. There's no footage. Oh. Yeah. This and, is the whole year before Armageddon. They probably didn't even have principal shooting done. Well, Steve Buscemi is was probably well, Steve Buscemi was in Con Air and he's also in Armageddon. Yeah. Um but yeah, so your theory was that uh they were probably still filming and uh the cast is just so huge, the director's just so huge, it's Jerry Brookheimer. We got to tell people about this now. And so we just get uh, probably stock footage of uh, like a rocket ship preparing to launch. Do we actually see it launch? Yeah. It, um, no, it was, it was just like very stock kind of footage. And mm. um, it's, yeah, it's weird. Nothing That's of cool, what though. we know of Armageddon is in that trailer, not mm. even the Aerosmith song. No. It's just a list of names in our rocket. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What do you remember about Nothing to Lose? Nothing. Who's in it? <laughs> it's just a, it's like a name that like seems so nondescript. Like if I, I, I nothing's uh, coming to Martin mind. Lawrence and Tim Robbins. Now That's I think we right. have this one. Nick's wife's in bed with his boss. He later gets a gun to his head by a carjacker, but steps on the gas pedal. They end up friends after adventures together. Holdups, burglary, reckless driving, revenge, etc. Twists follow. So he had a breakdown. So he had, like, it starts the same way as the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Tim Robbins' wife is in bed with another man. Uh, But it's funnier. Like Waterland, (laughs) but funny. There you go. What do you remember about Operation Condor? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's why. Because it's a Jackie Chan one. Um, Operation Condor is a sequel to another Jackie Chan movie, which we just learned because... Uh, one of the friends of this show is a uh, resident Jackie Chan, what would you say, scholar. Yeah, so Operation Condor is technically 
Armor of God 2, which is funny because there's actually an Operation Condor 2. So it's a trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. But apparently that trilogy is supposed to be uh, some... Grade A, Jackie Chan. Are these Ameri- Is it an American film or uh, is it a Chinese film? I think um, for sure, Armor of God is Chinese. Chinese. Um, Operation Condor had a, a white blonde lady like co lead. So, so I I couldn't even guess. Um, but mm. the even just like the quick clips and the stunts that we got in this movie like looked really impressive, which. Uh, isn't really saying much for a Jackie Chan movie. All of his movies are going to be impressive in their choreography yes. and their stunts, at the very least. Um, and this mm-hmm. movie seemed like it was no exception. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely watch Operation Condor. Uh, next one is G.I. Jane. I think a movie mm-hmm. few people have seen, but almost everyone remembers. Yeah. Because it was when like Demi Moore shaved her head, and that was the first time we really saw an actor outside of THX do something like that, or like a A-list, <laughs> A-list actor. Not just an A-list actor, but like a sex symbol. She had sure. just been in striptease. Yeah. Mm. The eager beaver. Mm. That's where she worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I just made like Annie Bancroft's hair in GI Jane looked phenomenal. It was like some of the best hair I've ever seen. Was Viggo Mortensen in the trailer? Yes. Is, okay. Yes. Uh, funny you should mention because the next one after that is it's not Prophecy One, which also has Vigo, but it's Prophecy Two. Uh, still starring Christopher Walken. I haven't seen those movies. Oh, oh. I th- this was the Prophecy Two is maybe the of all of them your favorite because no. of Brittany Murphy. Uh, she's good in it. Yeah, she's is, good in it. And Prophecy One is still like my favorite. It's the best because that one's got Eric Stoltz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Prophecy. It is a franchise because, like, you ended up watching all of them. Yes. But my dad was really into uh, the first one and uh, to a lesser extent the second one, but um, he watched those quite a bit. And so I watched them yeah, quite a bit. The third one's definitely okay. Two is fun. I like, I will say it's a great, fun movie. Fucking Glenn Danzig's in it. <laughs> like, that, like, plays an angel. Like, it's just, it, it's, yeah, they're, it's fun. It's Are these like, is it a fantasy movie? Uh, like a, it's like, an like angel Highlander? Movie. Okay, it's Yeah, so I think it, they would Christopher be. Christopher Walken's character, like, he it. plays the angel Gabriel, and he is so good at it. He's, he's just like a, a dangerous motherfucker who just, like, thinks of humanity as, like, fucking vermin, a virus, even. Yeah. So I, I cannot recommend this trilogy enough because in so not only is Christopher Walken in all three movies, but so is Kenny, Kenny Dan. Dan yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yes. And not he's like not a bit player. Like he he's is the, integral to the story. <laughs> and by the third movie, he's like the one calling the shots. Like <laughs> he plays a forensic pathologist. So in every movie, uh, he's just like. I found this body. It's got no eyes. It's got these little humps on, like these. Like he essentially finds the dead angels, and he's like trying to explain it to a detective, but can't. It's the best. <laughs> the best, Jerry. The best. <laughs> yeah, check out the Prophecy trilogy. It's very fun. Yeah. Uh, after Prophecy Two is uh, what I determined to be a B movie. It's just called Bounty Hunter. 
it's probably all you need to know about that movie. I don't recognize any of the actors who were in it. And it's probably about a bounty hunter. (laughs) If I had to guess. 97? Starring Dog the Bounty Hunter. Domino. Where's the 97? Yeah, it's not even showing up in the search. Yeah, this doesn't even come up in IMDb This Maybe maybe this was uh, now available on home video. I'm wondering, too, if maybe the... um, Title change. Title change. Mm. Yeah. Oh, like ticks. Like ticks. Uh, so, following Bounty Hunter is uh, something that I think is just kind of like funny, but also really egregious for movies to do. Is we got a trailer for the Conair soundtrack. Uh, following the Conair soundtrack, uh, something that's even more uh, egregious, but uh, I think is really wonderful at like documenting a moment and place and time is we got a trailer for the television show, The Practice, starring Laura Flynn Boyle and some gay. Yeah, yeah, cool. that was weird to see a television show advertisement. I, I, I'm pretty sure in the last couple of years, there have been one other, if not two other occasions where a late 90s tape had a TV show trailer on it. Yeah. Like this, I think this was just something we were doing in the 90s or the late 90s. Uh, like filling up that trailer space because it is just advertisement. Mm, okay. Okay. Is it usually for like I'm guessing like the pilot or like the first season and not like oh season three of the practice? There, I I wish I knew what tape this was on, but uh, the other example that I'm thinking of was for a pilot. So it had a couple of actors who I was familiar with in a show I'd never heard of and probably just didn't get picked up. Hmm. Which is unfortunate, but like again, like that's what makes these trailers so so magical. There's a lot of just like a forgotten movie, and then the trailers on them are just like doubly, triply forgotten media. Can you give us one word or phrase for Conair? And I invite both of you to uh, do this one since you watched Conair. It's over the top. It's great, but it's great. I love it. Yeah. 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 Uncaged. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I like All that. Right. One. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, I would rewind it. I did rewind it. This movie's real. That's real fun. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I would also rewind. Great. 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 Excellent. And now it's time for what would have been the mystery part of Mystery Simon Theater Three Thousand. Uh, the tapes that I would be watching next. Uh, for next episode. However, I am going to be traveling a bit and I also uh, have some of surgery coming up. So we're just not going to record for the next couple of weeks. Uh, but we did record a little, a little bit of some tapes from my home collection and you'll get those next week. Uh, but I'm going to be talking about uh, these tapes that I've owned for a very long time. They are my Twilight Zone tapes, uh, probably some of the most important pieces of media in my home collection. I love them. And tune in next week to find out which episodes are on here and why I love these so dang much. First of all, thank you so much for coming. This was so fun. I loved all of the information that you brought us through the novelization. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's that's like opened up a whole new 
world to consider there, just even from a script writing perspective. Or even just from like appreciating the novelization of a movie, it seems like really goofy uh, to do, but knowing that it might like reflect uh, the script a little bit more or just like previous versions of the script, like that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad that um, I was able to talk about that um, being new to them. So thanks for again having me. And I, I guess this is the part where I plug stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have some posters and writing samples on my website, uh, which is I don't have the domain for it, but it's like Stephen Como Writer at Wix dot or dot Wix site or something like that. We'll link we can, it. We can link it. link it. Um, yeah, and I have more of my art like on Instagram. I, I'm that poster guy. Yeah, <laughs> very original. I get double. Yeah. Well, it's a double entendre. It's I think it's I think it's fun. Cool. Yeah, and if you'd like to follow us on social media, uh, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at msimont3k. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcaster, I mean, you'd have to. Uh, go ahead and give us a five-star review, or at the very least, leave us a comment. Um, and if you'd like to see full trailer clips or behind-the-scenes photos, uh, you can see those in my newsletter, which is, for now, uh, Weird Wonderful Stuff at .substack.com. And that link will be in the show notes as well. Cool. All right. So, thank you. I'll see you on the other side. Bye, y'all. Bye.